Hey there, Minnow Tankers. I'm Ken, the founder of Minnow Tank. The Minnow Tank podcast interviews tech startup founders and the investors that fund them. This episode of the Minnow Tank podcast is brought to you by Minnow Tank. Whether you're an investor looking for new investment opportunities, a founder looking to pitch your tech startup, or a Minnow Tanker looking to stay up to date with growing tech startups, you can join our community of entrepreneurs at MinnowTank.com. All right, Minnow Tankers, here's the show. Hey there, Minnow Tankers. I'm here with Matthew Rhoda, Forbes 30 Under 30 and President and CEO of SwineTech. Matthew, thank you for joining us on the Minnow Tank Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So Matthew, uh, you know, Forbes 30 Under 30, SwineTech is pretty cool. Can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what your startup does? So I'm a recent graduate from the University of Iowa. I grew up in the state of Iowa and uh, just around the pork industry. Uh, today, I'm the president and CEO of SwineTech, as you said, and our company really seeks to prevent piglets from dying shortly after their birth, whether that's from stillbirths, from getting laid on, from disease, starvation. We present the industry with the technology that can do it all. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, uh, especially when you understand. Now, now, can you help us understand, before we get to the next question, talk to us about the severity of that problem. Talk to you about like how many, because I think for the regular person who doesn't grow up around swine or even livestock, trying to understand how many pigs are born per year. Like, give, give us some understanding of that market. Yeah, so right now, I'd say it's a 200-some billion dollar market. And last year, uh, over 300 million piglets died from general, just from various causes. And 160 million of them are estimated to have died from their moms rolling over and crushing them. This problem is a significant problem, one that every pork producer recognizes. Uh, it's one that's more frequent on pasture pigs, but uh, is also very prevalent in uh, commercial operations as well. So we look to help the industry, uh, I guess, make this hurdle from this problem and uh, get to the next step. Personally, I grew and up in the and I kind of oh, faced I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. Uh, I grew up in it. I kind of faced this problem over and over and over and got to a point where I was just sick of it. And we had a couple of pork producers reach out and ask us if... Uh, we were going to pursue our ideas, and that kind of gave us all the encouragement we needed to go out and do it. And so that is the core problem that Swine Tech solves, is piglet fatality? Yep, piglet fatality. Love it. Just, just that easy with a $200 billion market. Amazing. Um, so, Matthew, let's switch gears. And just away from Swine Tech, talk to me about how you became uh, an entrepreneur. So both my co-founder and I, just ever since we were growing up, have always kind of exhibited the tendencies of kind of having the entrepreneur out of the box thinking. And uh, when I look back, I'm just thinking about pawning my parents' food on the bus or contracting myself to local pork producers doing odd jobs, even the whole lemonade thing that most people do as their kids, just little things like that. It was always, how can I maximize my time and uh, try to, in an efficient way, make money? But as I got older, I got more exposed to what farming was and uh, got a management position while going to school. And I was going to school to become an obstetrician, but the medical school, like their acceptance committee, a couple of people told me that the best thing I could do would be diversify myself. So I asked him if I was to birth, uh, deliver uh, thousands of baby piglets, administer medications and oversee the obstetrical uh, um, assistance to the sows, is that a big deal? And they said, that'd be huge. That'd really set yourself apart. So I, so I applied for the position, got the management position, and uh, I realized that I became just as passionate about the economics behind, behind what was going on. And 
it wasn't just a problem of a piglet dying. It was also a problem of a, of a farmer losing millions of dollars a year because of it. So uh, talked with producers, uh, hundreds of producers at the World Pork Expo and found out that this is actually something they were looking to invest in and uh, something that they were willing to uh, to purchase. And that, that jump-started us. We went through a couple accelerators and here we are today. That's an awesome experience. And so you'd kind of say, Matthew, that you're one of those people that's kind of grown up with it. Like you've experienced it from a very young age. You were always entrepreneurial in nature. And then it kind of just came to fruition as you found this interest and this passion towards uh, pork and the uh, swine industry. Yeah, for sure. It's actually to the point where I don't think I would have been very happy as a doctor. It's sometimes you kind of get off your path of what you, you should be doing. And uh, you get thrown back onto it. Uh, I would have been miserable. I'm too out of the box. I like to test things, I like to change things. There's not too many protocols you can break when you're a doctor. So I'm probably better off where I'm at today. <laughs> and, and that leads us really well into our next question, Matthew, which is, um, you know, entrepreneurship is hard, right? Uh, let's say if you were a doctor, you know, you would probably work in a hospital or a doctor's office and there's some regimen, there's some rules, but entrepreneurship does not have that. Uh, what you're doing is relatively revolutionary, and that's why people are willing to purchase it, because it doesn't exist in the market, or it's more competitive. But that competitiveness means it's more difficult. So talk to me about what keeps you going, and what is the driving force that keeps you excited and interested in working on swine tech for this long? I think for me, a lot of it is, uh, since I grew up in the industry, I want to be able to change, change what is the, the daily norm for, for the people I grew up with. So that they can they can have something different that solves a lot of their problems, can make the quality of their life go go way up. It's uh, about influencing. I I really want to be an inspiration to others. I mean, I grew up in a on a farm in a, a very small town, and um, that shouldn't hold you back. You can you can do anything that you want. You just have to put your mind to it and really put in the time. And then, and then beyond that, it's, it's, I'm really driven by the challenge. What's the next, next thing I can accomplish uh, and try to solve. And uh, I think that if I keep living by, by those things, it's going to lead to good things and uh, eventually change the world and, and help people live in a better place. No, I couldn't agree more. As long as you keep seeing it as a challenge, right? Like keep being challenged and, and be a constant learner and find it as a game to constantly keep you know, keep aggressively learning and, and keep going forward. Um, that, that does keep yourself pretty motivated. Yeah. So, growing up. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, growing up, my parents always told me that uh, we're always given God given gifts and you need to use them. Don't need to waste them. And uh, I, I think I'm utilizing them. So just following exactly what you said and going out there and making a difference. As you should. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about the, the next question towards growth of your company. So I, I know the answer to this, but, you know, we ask the same question to all the founders. Have you ever raised capital before? And, we, and I know that you have. But my next question and the follow-on question to that is, why did you decide to raise capital? So from the very beginning, we knew we were going to have to raise capital because of the manufacturing stuff that had to go into what we were doing and the um, just the staff that we needed to bring on. Uh, for us, more it was more so when was the right time. And we really wanted to have a kind of proof of commercial relevance out there, something that proof of concept, something that was working before we went out and raised capital. So we bought 3D printers and really threw things together to make that happen. Um, Honestly, I think we could have done it a little earlier and should have done it a little earlier. I believe founders just need to have a compelling story and uh, 
something that uh, is is believed to be feasible. And, and with that, you can raise capital. Um, just be passionate and go for it. I think we could have gone a little bit earlier. So you're of the camp that you, you think you should have actually raised capital earlier. It's so funny. You know, uh, earlier today we recorded a podcast and, and one of the you know the founders, she said, um, do not raise capital until it's absolutely necessary, the very last moment. Whereas you're in the complete opposite camp. So can I ask you about that, Matthew? Like, why do you think you should raise capital earlier? So if you raise capital earlier and you have a very strategic plan for it, strategic story and a game plan, uh, I believe you put yourself in a position of, of power uh, in the whole whole process. Uh, you're You're not against the ropes if you wait till you need it you're probably waiting too long uh we thought we waited until we thought we were doing it early and turns out i had to get a fifty thousand dollar bank loan to roll us over the one month while we were closing the final the final checks coming in the door it, it takes longer sometimes and that first one's is probably the hardest because there's no really uh, you don't have any investors so there's nobody to reinvest in you uh, I, I believe that uh Raising, figuring out what your game plan is the moment you start the company and executing on is probably the very best. And uh, just kind of go with what you feel is the right thing. We knew we had to raise capital because of the cost, the fixed cost we needed to to go through manufacturing and all that stuff. Uh, we were just kind of put in that situation. Yeah, so let, let's actually go to the next question. When you talk about those investors that can reinvest in you. So I, I know that you've been through a number of accelerators and incubators. Can you talk to me about how you connected with investors? So we connected to investors, investors just by being active in the entrepreneurial community um, all over the U.S. And, and frankly, all over the world. Uh, just taking the time to meet new people, talk to people, get connected with individuals that had um, kind of aligned visions, thinkings for where they wanted the world to go. And, and one thing led to another. Uh, we, we found individuals. Some of them were advisors. Uh, some of them were, were people we just ran into and they wanted to invest. I think the number one thing that we did was early on, we uh, did a lot of those business plan competitions and uh, mm. we won just over 25. And in doing so, we had investors in each and every one of those audiences. And we began to establish a reputation of being, uh, of winning or of having credibility. I mean, you have enough people vet you in that, in that sense, you're, you're credible, you're, you're vetted. And not only did it do that, but it also prepared us that we, when we went and sat in front of an investor, we were ready to go. We had our 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 ducks in a row and we're ready to go, and uh, that that helped as well. the The best part about yeah. it was when we started out, we actually never had a lead. Um, we just got a large group of investors, just over twenty, to come together to get our first round which we were kind of worried it'd be a pain, but just because of so many people, but they've been great to work with. And when we had a follow-on round, uh, they covered it all. So I actually didn't have to find any new investors. So you, you know, I think you'd be of the camp that believes that investors do not invest in a single dot. They invest in a trend line. So what you're describing, Matthew, is, you know, you go to this business plan competition. There's a group of people here who just want to listen to these new concepts and, oh, here's this interesting concept. And obviously they follow you, they subscribe to your email, they see what you're doing on social. Okay, learning more, learning more. And then when you ask them three to six months later, they've already heard and followed you. And now it's almost like baiting the hook, right? They have the opportunity to say, yes, I want to move forward with this because I've watched the success. But it wasn't the very first time you walked into a room and pitched them, 
right? So that, that you would yeah. agree with that, that you, your investors invest along a trend line and not just on a single top. A hundred percent. I would say on average, all of our investors knew us and knew what we were doing for probably a year. Makes great sense. Yeah. So you had to build a whole year of credibility with them. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Um, all right. So the next question for Slime Tech is always whenever you have a company that's growing, I know you've raised a substantial amount of capital. Are you hiring? And what's been the best way that you've acquired talent, Matthew? Uh, hiring. That's the hard one especially from Iowa. If you're in Iowa, finding talent sometimes is very difficult, especially in the, on the tech side. Uh, we, we are hiring uh, right now more so on the sales side of things for, uh, for growth. But when we were trying to find engineering talent that could help us develop four different things that would all be conglomerated into one innovation, it was difficult. Um, ultimately, we found one champion who then knew somebody at work, who then knew somebody at their work, and you, you kind of just get one good guy and he can, he can lead you to, to a lot of other great talents. Uh, we had a, a large company in Cedar Rapids uh, get uh, acquired and you had, there's a lot of uneasy individuals that were working there and they were looking for a change and we happened to be the change for, for some of them. So I think in, in a lot of ways, it's a little bit of luck. Another thing we did, actually, this is probably the best one was uh we, we were having a really hard time and we looked at headhunting, but that's expensive. It's like 25, 30 grand if you're looking for an engineer. But then we started, I started thinking, well, the biggest reason everybody's saying no is because of benefits. Let's price health care, health benefits, dental, vision, and let's do it with the exact same amount of uh, quality as the, as the big corporations in the area. When we did it, it was going to cost us 30K to provide 12 individuals, full health care, dental, vision, life insurance, uh, the works which is what it would have cost us just to acquire one person. So we offer full benefits to all of our employees and uh, it's really helped us acquire credible, very, very wise individuals. Hmm. So you, you felt the benefits were the key component to your hiring process, which I couldn't agree more. Gosh, headhunting and, and talent having outsourcing that can be so expensive. Um, that's a really interesting um, path of success there. Uh, so let me ask you, Matthew, I'm going to ask you a big, fat, wide-open question. This is always my favorite question for each founder um, because it really it, it comes back to your experience. And, you know, you reference you should be utilizing your God-given talents. Um, talk to me about advice you would give to another founder. So you've already said, you know, I would have raised earlier. I would have had a strategic plan. I would have put myself, you know, out there and, and actually asked for money sooner because you could have innovated faster. What advice would you give to a founder who maybe was in your shoes, maybe even a little bit further along, but what advice would you give from your experience as a founder from one founder to another? So I think it just depends on where they're at. I, I mean, starting out, I think you just need to get in front of as many people as possible. Uh, just like any research, it's not credible. Uh, it's not a credible sample size until you get to a certain amount of people. So you shouldn't judge whether or not your idea is good or not by talking to one or two people. Uh, and once you decide that it's the, it's the thing that, that is credible, you need to treat it like a full-time opportunity. You can still be doing full-time other stuff, like full-time in school, full-time in another career. But when you come home or when you uh, are in school, you should probably treat it like it's a full-time opportunity. I don't, I don't think you can be successful if you don't. Uh, but also at the same time, success is defined in so many different ways. And there's so many different types of business models. Um, and third, I, I believe that you need to create a culture where people are going to have fun and enjoy what they're doing. If you do not... Uh, provide an environment where people are 
people feel safe and feel like they can have fun and and uh, can come to work happy and, and in some cases on the weekend wish they were back at work to solve a problem. You're, you're probably not going to be in a position where you're going to you're going to scale and acquire new talent and, and do everything that you're hoping you can do. So focus on, on the the validating the idea, then fully commit. And once you fully commit, create an environment where others are going to just love to be a part of something. So Matthew, I think you're the first person who's referenced culture because you know whenever I do a lot of reading, and I'm sure you read a lot too. Anyone, any, any founder these days, there's a lot of content consumption, but you know, creating that environment, whether it's through, you know, providing food or providing activities or just making sure that it's an inclusive environment, making sure you're having diverse hiring practices, you know, that's such an important core aspect to creating your team because how else do you create a self-sustaining organism, a business that can keep growing unless you've set down, you know, the path and the way that you want that business to look going forward, but you've also given it its own autonomy. Right? You give them the ability to be free and creative and have fun and enjoy it. And like you said, sometimes have to come in on the weekends. I know that when we first started Minotank, we were working almost exclusively on the weekends because we all had full-time jobs. Um, that's just the kind of commitment you have to show. Um, so I, I couldn't agree more, Matthew. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you our very last question. Um, Matthew, it's been awesome hearing from you. It's awesome to learn more about Swine Tech. If someone wants to get in contact with you, how can they find you online? So they can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on Facebook. Uh, those are probably the two best places they can find me. They can also uh, find my email and contact information on our website, swinetech.co or swinetechnologies.com. Awesome. Well, uh, Matthew Ruda, Forbes 30 under 30, President and CEO of Swinetech. Thank you very much for joining us on the Minotank Podcast. Hey there, Minotankers. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Minotank Podcast. Want to ask a question to one of our featured investors or tech founders? Use the Anchor.fm app to record your question and send it in to the Minotank podcast to be featured next episode. Make sure to record your name, where you're calling in from, and your question. And make sure to subscribe to the Minotank podcast for more awesome interviews with tech founders and the investors who fund them. Again, I'm Ken Barton, founder of Minotank, and I'll see you next time, y'all.